Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you're new to us today, like I already said, we're studying through the Gospel of John. We're just finishing up chapter 6. We'll be moving into chapter 7. But I want to just take today and bring together some thoughts about the upcoming Look Up Tour, specifically, and then also from that, just some general thoughts for us as a church about our responsibility in discipling. And I want to begin in Matthew chapter 28, and I want to start reading here, just so you know. Um, I love to just preach the Word of God and to just work through the text expositionally, but that's not what we're doing today. That's typically what we do. Today is more of a strategic teaching message, and so it's going to be different. I want to use this text as a jumping-in point, because in it we really have Jesus' final commissioning to His apostles, and from them to His church. We call it the Great Commission. It tells us what we are to do, what we're all about. And you'll just notice what happens with me in the text as we begin and we jump into the message. The 11 disciples, why are there only 11? Well, because one of them recently hung himself. Because of his betrayal. All of them had abandoned Jesus. Peter denied him. Three times. He even swore out a curse word and an oath and said, I don't even know the guy. But he's been restored. There's 11. Now, the 11 disciples, doesn't really say they're here, the apostles, although they are the apostles, but they are followers who are then being sent, who are being commissioned. And these 11 went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Remember, Jesus is coming and going intermittently in this 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension. And he's talking with them, he's teaching them, but he's not with them all the time. And so he's told them, go to Galilee and I'll meet you at such and such a place. In faith, they go to Galilee, they go to such and such a place. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted it was really him. Jesus came and he said to them, and here's this commission. Notice with me, first of all, the foundation of the commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's mine. All authority. All authority that exists is under His. He is the Lord. He's the King of Kings. That is the foundation of this commission. Is that Jesus is in charge. All authority is His. Therefore, 
Notice the word, therefore, right? You've heard this before. Sounds silly and trite, but it really works. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, look and see what it's there for, right? It's pointing to what? What we just read. Based on this authority, because he has the authority, because he is the Lord, go. Go and make disciples of all the ethnicities, all the nations. Begin that process by baptizing them in the singular name. And that singular name is what? The one holy God is who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Singular name, plurality of persons. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them. Teach them to observe. These new disciples, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And then he ends, just like he kind of began by giving us that, that word of encouragement that we don't go on our own authority, we don't go and accomplish anything in and of ourselves, we go under his authority, and then he brings it back to himself, and he says this, even though you don't see me, behold, I am with you always. And they had no idea how long this was going to last. They thought it was in their lifetime he would return. We now know he didn't. And things have been going on in this church age in which we live for 2,000-some years. But Jesus has not abandoned his church. I am with you always to the end, the consummation of the age. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as we come before your word today, and we think strategically as a church about accomplishing this work that you have given to us, Lord, there are many ways in which this is accomplished, that the gospel goes forth to all the nations. We do it by supporting missionaries. We do it by being faithful to you as Christians, living out our calling in this community as salt and as light. Lord, we accomplish it through various endeavors, like what's coming up here in just a couple weeks. Father, I pause, I commit not just this time to you, but Father, I commit that time to you, and Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would come in power, and that you would save, that you would redeem the lost. That is, Will Graham stands and he preaches the simple gospel to the people who come. That you would effectually call through him. And that Holy Spirit you would save. 
We cannot do that work. Father, we can invite our friends and we can pray. We can plant and we can water. But Father, we look to you because you must give the increase. I ask that you would. There are many people who will be in that place who are lost and broken and need life. As there are some in this place today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We pray this in the name of Jesus who has all authority. Amen. We've got a baby coming. We better get ready. We got two weeks. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about a region. We got two weeks. I, I remember, it's probably been about two years ago, I guess it's two years ago, that a friend of mine from Idaho Falls, his name is Todd Woods, some of you know him, he's been in the ministry there for a long time, he invited me to come to a meeting that they were gathering a bunch of pastors from the region with a team from the, the, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and they were doing some initial exploratory looking to see whether or not they would come here and do a crusade. They only do two crusades in the United States of America in any given year. It takes huge mobilization. By the way, they are now looking at western Nebraska and eastern Wyoming. Um, one of our missionaries, the founding pastor of this church, Wade Wadsworth, has been working very diligently now to get Will to come over there. Let's pray about that. Um, I'll be honest, the only reason I went to the meeting was because a friend of mine asked me to go. A guy named Todd Wood. My background was such that I was very skeptical of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Just my background. Heard a lot of good things, heard a lot of bad things. I knew a lot of people had been saved through it. But I also knew that there had been deficiencies in the ministry in the way they did follow-up. I was concerned. But I went. And I had been very, very pleasantly surprised and impressed. I did a meeting again yesterday. And I've been impressed. I've been impressed with not only their heart to be faithful to the Scripture, and to preach the gospel, but with their approach to follow up and how they have solidified this and worked it out. The first meeting I went to, the guy who stood in front of us said, you know, we are not experts, but we are experienced. They've done this stuff a long time. They've seen good things and they've seen bad things. 
Look, we've got two weeks. Two weeks. This is going to be a big deal for the region. I firmly believe it is. Now, I don't know what we'll see in Star Valley. I have no idea. I have no idea how many people who don't know the Lord will venture to go to Idaho Falls and to go to the Mountain America Center and to sit in there and to listen to a concert and then to hear the gospel preached. I have no idea. But I know there will be many people from the region who are there who don't know the Lord. And I want us just to think about this event, and then from that, I want us to think about follow-up. Because if all that happens from this event is people go there and they hear the gospel and some people accept Christ, and then nothing is done to help these new babies in Christ, then the church has failed its mission. Because Jesus said, go and what? Make disciples. Don't just go and get decisions. Go and what? Make disciples. There are three things that we need to do to support the endeavor. We've done some of these things, some things already. We've raised, you as a church, raised significant money to help this endeavor. For that, the Lord will bless you. But there are three things that we need to do in the next two weeks to support this work and then in the weeks to come. And these are the things I want to begin to build on today. First thing is this. Invite a friend. There is a brochure in the back on the table. It's called Bring a Friend There was a verse on the front of it from the Gospel of John talking about Andrew. Andrew then went to find his brother, and he brought him to Jesus. Invite a friend. Now, as we think about the event itself, remember, on the 23rd, there is kind of a kid's fest in the afternoon, correct? And then in the evening, there's a teen event. Teens, if you want to go to that, please sign up. Pastor Matt's taking a group, him and Dave Collins. Sarah and their wives. Okay? So sign up if you want to go to that, kids. By the way, this is important. I I want to just... In the the training meeting yesterday, Billy Graham, Evangelistic Association, the the guy who is the head of the, the director of training, gave a lot of statistics. Some of them are scarier than scary. from their own internal polling. From their own internal polling. This is why they have kids' events and teen events. From their internal polling, this is scary. And I've heard statistics like this many times. But from their internal polling, 82% of kids being raised in the church are abandoning the faith in college. Now, we can go and look, you know, Ken Ham, of course, wrote the book, Already Gone, 
all that stuff, talking about when kids abandon the faith, a lot of it is they never had it. But when it shows up is in college. And 82%. Think of the attrition rate on that. I mean, if you're the, if you're the army of Ukraine and you have a casualty rate of 82%, you cannot sustain. 82% of the kids being raised in the church are abandoning the faith in college. Now, we're not saying, you know, when that began to happen, but that's when it shows up. And in the research that they have done, 20% of the 82 will come back. Which tells you 62% of the kids being raised in our homes and growing up in our ministries are walking away from the faith and never coming back. That's where we are currently in America. Invite a friend, and that ain't just somebody who doesn't hear the gospel every week and isn't in church. I could be a kid in this church, okay? Invite a friend. Now, let's just talk about this strategic use of seating. I am not asking or expecting everyone in this place to go to the Mountain America Center on the 23rd and the 24th. In fact, we don't want you to, okay? We don't want you to. The Mountain America Center has 5,000 seats. They can pack some other people inside rooms. If 5,000 Christians show up, we did the wrong thing. We're not asking all of you to go. We want some of you, many of you, to stay by the stuff. Do you remember in the book of Samuel? Ziklag was burned, and uh, David is going to get his wife and kids and all of their stuff back, and as they're on the journey, some of the men who have been traveling with them, who have also been fighting in another battle, are tired, they're wore out, and David says to them, we're going to leave all of our baggage right here by the river, and all you guys stay here. And I'm going to take this small elite force and we're going to go win the battle. And you stay here and guard the stuff. They go in and win the battle, they come back. The guys who fought the battle say, oh, let's give those guys who stayed here their wife and kids back, but we're going to keep all the booty. We're going to keep all the reward. Remember that? What did David say? Uh Uh-uh. We divide the booty, the reward, equally between those who went and fought and those who stayed by the stuff. You ever hear the phrase, stayed by the stuff? That's where it comes from. It's the old King James Bible. People that stayed by the stuff. We want a bunch of you to stay by the stuff. We want some of you to go fight the battle. If you go, invite a friend. 5,000 seats in the American, Mountain America Center. 80% of decisions are made by someone who was brought by a friend. 
80%. Second thing we need to do to support is pray. Now, I probably should put that first because it's really the most important. But I wanted to start with the invite a friend because I wanted to get that one out of the way and it worked with my picture of the Mountain America Center. But this is really first, pray. We need to pray personally. Over the next few weeks, let us endeavor in our personal prayer life to lift this event up. Okay? In your personal prayers, let's pray for will, the team, the counselors who are being trained, and let's pray for those who come. Let's pray. Corporate prayer. We're going to have the church open during the event on the 24th. And we're inviting you that are staying by the stuff to not just stay by the stuff, but to come down here and be a part of the battle and to pray during the event. So the church will be open. Secondly, next Sunday, during the Sunday school hour, I want us to gather as a church and spend 45 minutes in prayer, corporately. Make a note of that, please. It's not in the bulletin. Next week, Sunday school hour, let's come and pray. Two weeks ago, we were going to eat outside. You remember, didn't get to, poured rain. But we had breakfast, didn't we? How many of you like to get, get up and come to breakfast at church? That was pretty good. How many of you want to get up and come down and fast? It's easy to get people to come to a potluck. How about a fast? Does God answer prayer? Will he do so as his children implore him and sacrifice to do so? So how about a fast? Now, I'm not saying you can't eat breakfast. We're not going to do the legalistic thing that we all come in here with a somber face, groaning stomachs. I didn't get to eat. I didn't even wash my face today. All the stuff that Jesus talks about in Matthew. We're not going to do the legalistic thing. But nevertheless, let's think about how devoted are we as individuals and as a church to pray. Can you come next Sunday during the Sunday school hour, set aside 45 minutes to pray with other believers? And I want the kids here. Okay, kids? When Martin Luther was involved in the Protestant Reformation, And there were extreme battles. He didn't know whether he would be captured and would be burnt. Right? Whenever something major was going to happen and he wanted people to pray, you know who he called? Not the adults. He called the kids. He said, I would rather have a church full of children praying for me than a bunch of lame-brained adults in Martin Luther's own vernacular. Why? Simple faith. So kids, would you come pray? We can pray. Third thing is this. I've got to get moving. We've got to follow up. People are going to make decisions at this event. 
60% of those who make a decision go down the aisle, confess Christ for the first time. This is the internal polling of the BGEA. 10% will come and seek assurance. 22% will come and they'll be like rededicating their life. You know what that is. You've done that. You know, you accepted Christ when you were five years old and you really think it was real. But then you kind of wandered away. And then you hear the gospel again or, or God's Holy Spirit smites your heart. You just rededicate your life. There's going to be a lot of that going on. 3% will come with a general inquiry. That's kind of what it's going to look like. Various spiritual needs. Bulk of the people who go forward at one of these events are looking to the Lord to confess Him as Savior. We're going to have a baby. Do you remember? I know you ladies do. How about you guys? Do you remember when your wife told you, we're going to have a baby? Wow. Maybe it was totally unexpected. Maybe you in your mind were thinking, we're going to wait 10 years and then we're going to have a baby. And the Lord gave you one. Boom. Out the gate. Honeymoon baby. Maybe you thought you were going to have a baby right out the gate. And you didn't get one for 20 years. God gave you one. We're going to have a baby. If you're going to have a baby, you got how long to prepare? Quite a few months. And our wives understand the necessity of this. You know, they feel that baby every day and it's growing and it's, you know, it's flourishing and it's starting to kick and all those different things. Us guys, we kind of put it off. You know, we can get that crib at the last minute. You know, we'll go find one at Goodwill. Well, that's never good enough, is it? What's the first thing that a woman thinks as soon as she hears she's going to have a baby? I need to go shopping. Right? I need to go shopping. We got to get ready. Look, we're going to have a baby. Now, we don't know how many babies we're going to get here because of this event. But by the grace of God, as time goes on and as God blesses this church, we're going to continue to have babies. And I'm not talking about physical babies. I'm talking about spiritual babes. Babes in Christ. When you, when you have a baby... How many of you would say when you had a baby, it changed a whole lot more in your life than when you first got married? Amen? Right? Because everything goes from being about you to being about who? The baby. And that baby has needs. And your entire life all of a sudden is shifted towards the need of that baby. And things continue, especially, like, let's say you have five kids. Things continue on, and all those kids are at different stages of development, but you still got a baby, and that baby has needs. This church has babies, and those babies have needs. 
So let's think about some of those needs. Discipleship and parenting are a whole lot alike, aren't they? In fact, Paul says many times in the New Testament that these babes in Christ are his spiritual children. And he is parenting them like a father. Or as Dave read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, like a nursing mother who cares for her children, or like a father who loves them. And so there is a parenting responsibility in the discipleship model of the New Testament. When you think about this, it's talking about, think about parenting. There is a developmental oversight, isn't there? It says in the book of Proverbs, a child that is left to himself will do what? Bring his mother to shame. We see it all the time, don't we? Society. Because there's not developmental oversight, nurturing, and steering. Parenting. Church has a responsibility for developmental oversight, for the nurture and the steering of new believers. This is not a program. You know, you could put a name on it and you could say we have a discipleship program. Most churches even have, you know, a lot of churches have a pastor of discipleship. Well, that may be good, that may be bad. Because it may just mean that everybody thinks that that guy does the job. It's not a program. It is a process. And people don't need something. They need who? Someone. They need someone. So discipleship and parenting is highly relational. It is intended to result in what? How many of you want your kids to be home with you when they are... You know, 85. Right? No, hopefully by there or somewhere along the way they launched. So it is intended, it's highly relational, but it is also intended to result in the maturation. It is a process of continual oversight and attention, and the goal is to launch. That's the goal. So it is with new believers in Christ who are babes in him. Now, although discipleship is not about merely knowledge, it is highly relational, there is a set of truth that needs to be communicated to each new believer, correct? Remember when you became a Christian? You didn't know nothing about nothing. All you knew was you were a sinner and you needed Christ. And you got it. You didn't know nothing. But there is a set of truth that needs to be communicated. When we think about discipleship, we're talking about two things. One is what a Christian believes. Those are the basics of the faith, foundations of the faith. A new believer needs to understand the basic core tenets of Christian doctrine. What does a Christian believe? When we say that you are a Christian, it means you believe certain things, right? The other thing that is a part of discipleship is how a Christian behaves. Those are two aspects of discipleship. Christian belief and Christian behavior. And those are taught and they are caught in relationship. The plan. Now here's our plan. We've got to have a plan because we've got a baby coming. 
Maybe in two weeks. But maybe it's not just in two weeks. We don't know how many babies may come here as a result of you inviting a friend. But some of you, somebody here, somebody God is putting on your heart, and you may say to them, would you go with me to this event? And you think, that person will never respond. Ever been there? That person will never respond. I'm going to take them anyway because God wants me to do it. And you get them there. And all of a sudden, they got the white-knuckle grip on the pew in front of them. won't be pews. And you can see them sweating bullets because the Holy Spirit is moving. And then you get to the invitation, and you about fall out of your seat because Joe Below walks down that aisle and accepts Jesus, and then the next week they're here with you. That could happen. We've got to have a plan then because we've got a baby coming. So what's our plan? Number one, it's follow-up communication. If you invite somebody and they go, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is going to let us know they went. Hopefully you will too. But if they go forward and there is a decision that is made, there is a card that will be filled out by the counselor and it will be communicated to us that night. The team from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association stays up all night, the night following a crusade, to enter into the computer all of the decisions that were made and to send that night an email to each church. So that we can call within 48 hours. And we can say, we are here to help you. Can we come and visit you? Follow-up communication. So within 48 hours of the event, we will be in touch with anybody that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association funnels to us and asks us to communicate with. Then, we need to pair them with some folks who have been walking with Christ for a long time. So I may be calling you. I may be saying to you, you know, we have somebody that needs a walk-along, talk-along partner to help them. And then the third thing is we will be offering specifically tailored classes called discovery groups. These are meant to be transitional in order to start somebody out in the basics of what a new believer believes and then how they behave. And it is transitional with the goal of getting them through the discovery group and then into one of our small groups. So we're not going to just automatically assimilate the new Christian into a small group. They will be in a transitional group until that is done, and then we continue the process of discipleship in our already existing small groups. That's the plan. Okay? That's what we want to try to implement. Now, this is going to happen no matter if anybody comes to this church as a result of the look-up tour. Because some of you in here need that. And some of you in here need this. 
because you're pretty new in the faith. So that's our plan as we go into the fall. Oh, I've got to bring all this to a close. See this word? I mentioned it a few weeks ago, concern. I kind of had an epiphany this summer. I, reading a book, I was given a book by another pastor to read. It's called Pilgrims. It's an autobiographical, not autobiographical, biographical story of four different men who were used by God mightily to bring people into the kingdom, but every one of them died by the age of 30. One of them was only in the ministry for six months. Every one of them died by the age of 30. One of them was a guy named David Brainerd. Ever heard of him? Son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards. David Brainerd was an orphan, ended up being born again, and went to Yale. Now, Yale, once upon a time, was a pastor training institution that was sold out to the gospel. That was Yale. David Brainerd went there and got kicked out. He got kicked out because he had a professor who he believed was not a true believer. And he went on social media and posted it. Not really. <laughs> but he said something about it. And he got in big trouble and he got booted out. Because of that, he could never get ordained. He went into the ministry, nevertheless, to the five nations of the eastern tribes of the first peoples groups of America, Iroquois and others. He died when he was 31, tuberculosis. He spent his entire life on horseback, traveling amongst the various tribes and saw God do tremendous things. I mean, you are talking many peoples in those tribes became believers because of the preaching of David Brainerd. Many people. And he baptized many of them and he formed churches. Sadly, almost every one of his churches ceased within a generation because of smallpox. Almost all those believers died. He died when he was 31. He married Jerusha, who was the daughter of Jonathan Edwards. Nobody really knew at the time how critically contagious tuberculosis was, and they didn't know if you wore an N95 mask, you couldn't pass it on. Right? How many of you are getting ready for the election variant of COVID? We've got a new variant coming, don't we? The election variant. Anyway, nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But she died four months after him. But he wrote a lot about concern in his biography. Because when he first went to the tribes, he met people who were idolatrous, knew nothing about Jesus, and were completely apathetic about their spiritual condition. 
And then he saw God begin to wake them up, and they became concerned. What is going to happen to me when I die? In his writings, David Brainerd talks about the concern that people had for their soul. How did people get a concern for their soul? Here's the chain I want to develop real quick. You know how it happens? When somebody comes to them and they are concerned for them. That's how it happens. Here's the chain. I am in sin and I am totally apathetic. I don't give a rip. I'm enjoying my sin. And then somebody comes to me and they say to me, do you know what's going to happen to you if you die in that condition? And they're not just preaching to me. They're concerned for me and they love me. And they care about me. And they're sacrificing for me. And they show to me real concern. And I'm sitting there saying, why is this person who doesn't even know me, why are they concerned for me? And the Holy Spirit takes their concern and He gives me concern. And I read those two things and it really, okay, I get it. But then the last part of the puzzle is this. How do I get that concern? Because if you're like me, I'm concerned with many things. I'm concerned about my stupid truck that keeps breaking down and nobody can find out why. I'm concerned about it. I don't know how much it's going to cost me. It's already cost me a couple grand. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about getting my hay to dry. I've got a lot of concerns. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, he said to Martha, you're concerned about many things. But one thing is needful. So I asked myself all this summer as I prayed and thought about this, is how do I then get concerned? Because if there's a chain, someone's going to be born again, they've got to be concerned, and they're going to get concerned when they concern for me. How do I become the man who truly is concerned for others? How do I become that man? I'll tell you how. And this is running through the stories that I have read about other people. Here's how it happens. is when we pray. That's where the Holy Spirit gives us concern. When we pray. And the reason we are not concerned for others is because we are prayerless. And if you go to times of great revival in church history, you will find unequivocally they always were preceded by prayer. Always. That concern comes from prayer. Let me close with this. I know I've got to let you go. There's Billy. That's his young man pose. First time he began to preach was for a group called Youth for Christ. Billy Graham Evangelical Association was not in existence then, 
As a young man, he toured as an evangelist for Youth for Christ with many other evangelists. They would go and they would share the gospel. The very first time Billy Graham was asked to preach for Youth for Christ, he got up and he gave it everything he had. He got to the end of his message and gave an invitation for people to respond, and nobody came forward. Now, if you've watched his crusades or you've been to one, you know that later in his ministry, many came forward. Nobody. There was no response. As a young man, he was really disappointed. He'd given it his all. And nobody there trusted Christ. But after he was done, as he was getting ready to leave, a young man walked up to him who was an usher. And he said, I need to talk to you. And that young man accepted Jesus. And his name was Warren Wearsby. And you've heard of him. A very well-known evangelist, Bible teacher, who most pastors in America have books that he wrote, commentaries, and a faithful ministry. It's not about how many or who. It's not even about the Warren Wearsby's of the world. It may be a mom, a faithful dad, who gets saved, who believes in Jesus, and their eternal trajectory changes from hell to heaven. It's not about how many. But my friend, I firmly believe we're pregnant. And we got a baby coming. With me, will you pray? And will you partner that we do this job? Let's close. Lord, I pray that as we close today, You would help us as a church to be strategically involved. Help us, Father, to be faithfully praying. Lord, as we just bring the message to a close, I pray that you would help each of us who are sitting here in this place who know you That, Lord, you know the people that we can invite that you will definitely work in their heart. And, And, Lord, I just pray that those names of those individuals would resonate in the heads of us in this place. And we won't be able to forget that person, that they will just resonate and we will find a concern for them. And that, Lord, you would minister that you would save. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.